I was doing some research and doing some personal study, and I came across a pastor who was talking about one of the most unbelievable verses in all of Scripture. One of those verses that when you read it, the first thing you think is, well, that really can't mean what it says it means. One of those that you read it and you think, there must be some misprint in my Bible there. And it comes from the book of John, and it comes from the mouth of Jesus. And it comes in the last few hours of the time that He would spend before the cross with His disciples. And it comes from that portion when He's telling them about the fact that He's going to have to go away. Now you can imagine, this was their leader. This was the guy they had come to love. This was the guy they had seen do all this stuff. And He gets them all together and He says, By the way, I'm about to leave. And they're like, Wait a minute, where where are you going? And He says, Um, well, don't worry, because when I leave, I'm going to go find a place and I'll get it ready for you and you'll come with me. We don't know where you're going. How can we go there? And he says, don't worry, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You just believe in me and you'll be okay. And then he says this in the midst. He's going to talk to them about praying. And he says this verse, and I want you to see it. It's going to be up on the screen. It's a verse from John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus talking to His disciples and He says, I assure you, the one who believes in Me will also do the works that I do and He will do even greater works than these. Because I'm going to the Father. He will do even greater works than these. Here's what I want you to think about just a minute. Again, who said this? Jesus, right? Did Jesus do anything great? Yeah, kind of, right? On the scale of greatness, He kind of ranks at the top, according to well, at least. If not, there's no reason for us really to be here today. But some pretty great things. What are some great things Jesus did? What are some amazing things Jesus did? He healed the sick, right? Not just the sick, He healed the dead. Dead are really sick, Right? What else did he do? What are other great things? What's something else he did? He walked on water, right? Anybody here done that lately? It's hard for me to stay above water, right? Like swimming, not like walking. That's really hard too. Anything else? He arose. It's kind of hard to do, right? In fact, I only know of one person in history that's ever done that. That's him. Fed 5,000 people with just a few little pieces of bread and some... Uh, fish. We're going to feed about 400, 450 today after service. Everybody's welcome down in the uh, Family Life Center. And we got a couple of more things down there than a few pieces of fish and loaves of bread. It says in this verse that those of us who believe in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're one of His disciples, if you're someone that has given your heart, your life, your soul to Him, if you have someone that has said, I will follow you, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, it says that you will do even greater. Doesn't that seem like that ought to be a misprint there or something? I mean, you'll do some good things. Even you'll do some amazing things. But when you say that what we're going to do is greater than Jesus, that's an amazing proposition. And the reason for most of it's amazing is because we know that's not really happening in our lives right now. We know in our own lives that it's not greater 
right now. In fact, some of us are just working to get the laundry pile down a little bit. Some of us are just trying to make sure that all the grades in the grade book get turned in. We're just trying to make sure that everybody gets delivered to the right spot and no one's left where they shouldn't be left. We're just trying to make sure that our kids in Michigan and Alabama and North Carolina all know when they're supposed to be here for Thanksgiving and what they're supposed to bring. It's not greater. It's making it. In fact, this pastor that I was uh, listening to a sermon of his the other day, he said this, he said, Most Christians... Most believers, most followers in Jesus Christ are not in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're facing a far greater danger. They're in danger of wasting it. The one who believes in me will do what I do and will do even greater works than these. Now here's what I want you to understand about this verse and then we're going to go to our main passage for the day. The key is the last phrase there. We sometimes leave those kind of things out. The key is because I'm going to the Father. You see, Jesus doesn't say that we are to be greater than He is because the reality is that is impossible. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher. There's nobody that can touch Him. And so that's impossible. But what He's saying is because He is leaving and is going to send the Holy Spirit to live within us, we can accomplish greater things with Him. On board. Now the question I want to look at over the next few weeks is a couple. First of all, is what does that look like? You see, we kind of live in a society where if you start to define what your life is like, some people might define it as just simply good enough. Right now I'm just making it. It's just good enough. This baseline living marked by mediocrity, stuck in survival mode, being controlled by complacency. That's just where I am. And then you hear some people say, well, I want to strive for greatness. But we don't really know what that means. It's kind of vague. It's kind of unrealistic. It's doing better, but not really knowing what that means. Good enough leaves you stuck in stagnation. Grasping for greatness leads to endless frustration. I want to talk today about a God-given understanding of life where we understand God wants to do in and through us greater things than we could ever imagine. Greater things than we could ever think of. And so what I want you to begin to open your mind to is, what is that greater life for me? Greater than the labels that you were given when you were young. Greater than the cynicism that is creeping in as you're getting older. Greater than a life spent aimlessly wandering around in cyberspace. Greater than empty earthly satisfaction that brings no eternal reward. Greater than shame tethered to you like a stone from the sins of your past. Greater than the abuse you suffered at the hands of people you trusted. Greater than the trials that you've been walking through. Greater than the specter of missed opportunities. Greater than even the dreams you've dreamed for yourself. Greater than even the greatest moments you've had to this point. Because I believe God wants to show us what it takes to make it to the greater life. If we'll just trust Him. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start actually in verse 19. And we're going to study the life of a guy 
who isn't in the hall, well, he's in the hall of fame of faith if you look through Scripture, but he's not the guy we talk about a lot. If I were to ask you to name famous Old Testament people, in fact, at First Baptist we've been doing a series of sermons on amazing stories from the Old Testament. We talked about David and Goliath, and we talked about um, Elijah, and we talked about Noah, and I, you would probably name David and, and Joseph and Lots of people from the Old Testament, Samson and Solomon. And you could probably list 10 or 15 people before you got to this guy's name. And part of the reason is because his name is so close to another guy's name. And they followed right after one another. And so he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. His name is Elisha and he follows Elijah. Elijah, by the way, is still one of the most popular names around. Elisha. Not on that list. And yet what we're going to see is he lived a life that was greater and shows us some principles we can use for it. Look at verse 19 of chapter 19. It should be on the screen for us there. Elijah left there. This is when Elijah was the prophet. In fact, it's only a few verses after he has the showdown on Mount Carmel and the fire from heaven comes and consumes. The story we talked about a couple of weeks ago, even if you uh, weren't here a couple of weeks ago, most of you know that story. The fire consumes the sacrifice. He has all the prophets of Baal killed and he goes out into isolation. While he was there, some things happened and it tells us at the end of that isolation, he left there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And he was plowing. I'll just ask you a question. Can you think of anything more mundane in life than plowing? Anybody here ever plowed? We got a couple of hands. I can't think. Now maybe some of you in this room love plowing. But it is your lifelong goal to plow. But I can't imagine anything more mundane than plowing. And look what's happening here. He's not he's got twelve teams of oxen. And he was with the 12th team. So how many teams in front of him? 11, right? Anybody ever been to the zoo? You ever seen the ox? They, you know, they don't, we don't have ox roaming the streets of Goodlettsville last time I checked. You have to go to the zoo. They do not look like sanitary animals. Right? So he's plowing... Behind 12 teams of oxen. Think about his life for a minute before we get to the rest of the story. It's hard to think of something more mundane than plowing behind the oxen. Think about his day. Wake up, eat something, get behind the ox. Ride behind the ox, get some, du some dust, some mud thrown in your face. Get the ground good and plowed. Stop, eat a little snack, lunch. Get back behind the oxen. Over and over and over again. Now, they may have broken up the monotony of the oxen and let him plant something every now and then. But most of the time he spent just plowing. Let me ask you a question. Did your life ever feel like you're just plowing along? Same schedule every day, same kind of thing every day. Get up, get coffee, get the kids up, get them dressed, get them in the car against their will, fighting and screaming with each other as you go. Drive them, pray that there's been some sort of 
um, misunderstanding at the school so that you're not late when you get there, but just in line in the drop-off line. At least that's what I've heard from other people. All right? Drop the kids off, go to work, spend all day at work, take a little lunch break, come home, get the kids home, homework, supper, homework, two minutes of free time, bedtime, alarm clock goes off, coffee, kids up, kids in the car. You ever feel like Groundhog Day? You know that movie, right? Bill Murray wakes up, it's the same day, over and over and over again. Elisha was in the midst of that kind of life. And here's the, the thing, um, here's the thing I want you to think about in this. He never expected that his life was about to change. Look what happens. Elijah, I love how the scripture describes this, walked by him and threw his mantle over him. Now, his mantle would have been like a cloak. And I know cloak is not a word that we use a lot or think about a lot, but it would have been a cloak. And Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. Here's what happens. I want you to get the picture here. It almost is like a um, sneak attack. It's like Elijah's kind of sneaking up on him. And he's got this cloak in his hand. You know what a cloak is, right? Um, when I think of cloaks, I think of one or two things. I think of like Dracula, which is probably not the picture that goes along here. Or some of you that grew up a little, that were born a little bit before me, I think about the hardest working man in show business. James Brown. How many of you know James Brown? All right. Remember James Brown's show? He would get over on the side and he was done and they'd go and throw a big cloak over him. Start to pull him off to the side. He'd throw the cloak off and start to... All right, maybe not. Maybe that's just me. I love James Brown because of Rocky. You remember he was in Rocky? All right. So the idea, the idea is that Elijah comes, and the thing that would have been significant about that is when he places the cloak over him, he's saying that you, Al, have everything that I have. You are my successor. It is like passing the torch is the phrase we use. And it's more than just, hey, you're the next guy in line. It's God has told me you're next. And I love Elisha's reaction. He runs. That's what it says, right? He leaves the oxen. In our, in our modern world, I think of him jumping out of a moving car because the oxen would have been moving. And they just keep moving. They just are going. And he jumps off and runs after him and says, let me go take care of a couple of things and then I'm coming. It goes on to say this. Go on, back, he replied. That's Elijah. For what I have I done to you. So Elisha then it tells us as it goes on to the next one, turned back from following him, took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. Well, the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. They had lunch. We don't have any oxen downstairs for you, sorry. And he left, followed Elijah, and served him. I want to tell you the first two steps to the greater life. And they're mandatory steps if you're going to live a life that is greater for the glory of God. Let me just be honest. Some of you here, you could care less about that. You're just here because somebody said, hey, come back, I want you to see the church, or... They promised you something afterwards if you came. You think, I don't care about a greater life. But if every one of us is honest with ourselves, we are all looking 
for something. Something more. I went, some of you that were here last week know this. I went to the Titans Patriots game last week. And the Titans were definitely looking for something more than what they got. I got a couple of amens out there on that. I ain't got an amen in the service till just then. And here's what I thought. I took Eli. We were, we were uh, not near the field. All right? We were four rows from the top. So we could, you know, when you can look over the top and see better than seeing the field, you know you're way up there. And I just was observing the people around me. By about the third quarter, the game was no longer in doubt. I just watched people around me. There were people there that had to have spent thousands of dollars. I mean, we had people sitting around us that had flown in for the weekend from Boston to follow a group of 50 guys throwing a pigskin ball around a field. And here's what struck me about that. You could tell, I didn't interview these guys, I didn't talk to them, but you could tell by the way they acted, this was their life. This is what they lived for. In fact, there were a couple of occasions right around us where there were people that their life were the Patriots and right next to them people that their life were the Titans. And before the night was over or the afternoon was over, they almost got into a strong disagreement with fist about whose life was better because their life was about a football team. You ever stop and think about how ridiculous it is the things that we pour our time and money and energy into when there's things that are greater out there? Two steps. Here's the first step. We need to be willing to recognize God's calling us to a greater life. Elijah's just doing his normal thing. He's going through his alarm clock, coffee, kids up, kids in the car, kids to school, off to work, have lunch, back from work, homework, supper, homework, bed, start it all again, routine. And it's almost like Elijah's cloak being placed on him is a cup of cold water that wakes him up. Some of you have had those moments in life. Not always good, not always bad. When it's like suddenly life wakes you up. You ever seen somebody had to be awakened by cold water? When I was in kindergarten, we used to take naps in kindergarten. I had a friend of mine named Mike Jones. And Mike slept hard. And about twice a week, Miss Peggy McCulley, my teacher, would literally, now they may not let you do this in school anymore, have to go get a cup of water and pour it on his face. And he would jump out of that nap and ready to go. It's like putting a cloak on his back was the water in the face that erupted this sense that God was doing something. Here's what I want you to realize. If you look at the verses just before this, God says to Elijah, I'm going to send you to the hometown of this guy named Elisha and he's going to be my next prophet. What I love about that is God didn't tell Elisha that. He told Elijah that. 
And for you, what you need to realize is sometimes in the mundane parts of living, you think God's given up on any hope of greatness or greater in my life. When the truth is, God may be arranging circumstances around you to bring you to a point where you are awakened to the reality of God's plan for what He wants you to do. Just because you don't see God working in the moment doesn't mean God's not working in the moment. And we have to be ready and willing and able to just go when He says go. Here's what I also love. He often doesn't give the details. God's not in the detail business with us. Now God knows the details. He just doesn't tell us. When He called Abram, He just said what? Go. I'll show you where. When Zacchaeus was up in the tree, He just said, come down. When the disciples were out fishing, He just said, follow Me. You just have to be available to recognize the call. And here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to burn the plows. It's my favorite part of this story. In fact, I referenced it a few months ago in a, another sermon about following God no matter the cost. Here's what I love about that part of the story. Elisha wants to leave no doubt that his former life is done. So he takes the oxen and he slaughters them. So he can't be plowing with those oxen anymore. And then he needs something to make a fire. And there was plenty of things to make a fire with, but he purposely chooses to break down the plows and build the fire with that. You ever heard the, the story about Christopher Columbus getting here and getting the boats and then telling them to burn the ships? Because we're not going back. This is Elisha's burn the plows kind of moment. And can I tell you what plows are in your life? Plows in your life are anything in your life that is shackling you or chaining you to the ordinary. It may be a job that you know you're just doing because you have a job. It's not what God's called you to do. It may be a relationship that you know is holding you back from the greater life that God's called you to be. It may be a decision financially. It may be a decision with your career. It may be a decision in your relationships. But there are things in our lives that hold us back into that normal, routine life. And anything like that that is preventing us from the greater life, God calls us to burn and move on. Can I ask you this simple question as we get ready to close? If you had to identify one thing in your life right now, one thing that is chaining you to the ordinary, what would it be? If you had to identify one thing right now in your life that you know is preventing you from living the greater life God's called you to, what would it be? In the weeks ahead, we're going to follow the story of Elisha and we're going to see some amazing things that God does through Elisha. But let me tell you something. He would have never done those things if Elisha hadn't been ready and able to follow God's call and if he hadn't been willing to burn the plows. There's some of you here today that you're, you haven't been considering what God desires for you to do. Maybe you've never been in church or maybe you've been in church, but this is the first time in church in a long time, or maybe you're a part of, of something in your life that you know is holding you back. This morning it's time to say, I'm done with that. 
It's over. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. Jeff's going to come and lead us in a song. And I'm just going to ask you in that moment, if there's something that you need to get rid of to pursue a greater life, maybe it's just this morning you need to tell the Lord, I'm ready to move to greater instead of just living in this, I'm okay, good enough phase. This morning, as Jeff sings in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and I'm going to be standing here. And If for any reason the Lord leads you to come and pray here at the front or come and talk with me, I just invite you to do that. Would you pray with me this morning?